Welcome to Cancer HelpCast, where science is driving hope. We're your hosts, Melissa Harris and Catherine McPhail. Before we get started, I have some housekeeping that I want to go over. I've been partnering with the National Cancer Institute for a while now, between hosting NCI leadership across our National Cancer Act commemoration miniseries last year, and now with Cancer HealthCasts. But unfortunately, this will be my last time hosting this miniseries with you. There are new adventures for me on the horizon that I'm excited to pursue. And while I'm going to depart, I have a great new host who will continue to showcase innovation in cancer research. That person is Catherine. Hi, I'm Catherine, a staff writer here with GovCIO Media and Research, and also a big fan of this show. We're very sad to see Melissa depart, but I'm excited to keep this series going and to bring you new and exciting news from the forefront of cancer research. While Catherine will be taking the wheel from here on out, we'll both be here to jointly host this last episode for me. So today we're getting ready for next month, Childhood Cancer Awareness Month, to dive into the state of research in pediatric cancers and how NCI is pushing the envelope forward with research in the space. More specifically, we'll be chatting with NCI Pediatric Oncology Branch's Hematologic Malignancies Section Head, Dr. Nurali Shah, and Translational Sarcoma Biology Group Head, Dr. Christine Heskey. We'll chat about the challenges and innovations in pediatric blood cancers and sarcomas alike, what strides the cancer research community is making in this space, as well as how collaboration, data, and dedication from patients and families are making a difference. All right, Dr. Sean Heskey, um, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of our Cancer HealthCast miniseries. We're thrilled to have you here today. Thank you. We're thrilled to be here. Thank you so much for inviting us. Of course. So last year, we got together with other pediatric cancer experts at NCI to talk about the history of childhood cancer as we commemorated the 50th anniversary of the National Cancer Act. In this mini-series now, we're looking forward in cancer research. So can you tell us about the state of research for childhood cancer now? And you know, what are some of the top challenges at the moment and broad efforts underway in this research space? Um, so one of the greatest advances that has happened over the, you know, the past decade, um, particularly for pediatric cancer, has been the explosion of pediatric cancer immunotherapy. Um, and at least in um, the work that my group does, which is in the hematologic malignancy section of the pediatric oncology branch, we've been really invested in trying to advance chimeric antigen receptor or CAR T-cell-based therapies, which is a novel way to use a patient's immune system and redirect it towards killing cancer. You know, what our group is really trying to focus on is in, with the emergence of highly effective CAR T-cell strategies for B-cell leukemias, I think one of the greatest challenges that we are looking to try to overcome or figure out the best way to treat is how can we extend this form of immunotherapy to be able to treat other types of liquid tumors like AML, and then also seeing how that can be extended to some of the work that my colleagues are doing in the branch and seeing if CAR T cells can be effective in solid tumors. And so for, for our group, we focus more on solid tumors. Um, and I would say a little bit different from the leukemia space um, in that the immunotherapies that have been so successful for diseases like leukemia and lymphoma are still not quite at that level of effectiveness for solid tumors. I would say that the biggest gains that we have made really are 
with regard to our understanding of disease biology, which obviously helps us to identify new targets for some of our diseases, um, specifically advances in understanding the genetics of our diseases and the epigenetics of our diseases and using this knowledge to, um, to develop better models of the disease and then hopefully find um, new, new targets. As we're talking about sort of better understanding diseases, I'm wondering if you could delineate some of the key differences between childhood cancers and cancers typically common in adults. How do these differences inform research in this space and some of the unique work that researchers must consider when studying pediatric cases of cancer? Yeah, so um, in the solid tumor space, I think, you know, uh, th these diseases are quite biologically distinct from what we see in the adult tumors. Um, and that manifests in a number of different ways. Many adult cancers, um, you know, they're, they're, uh, they develop over a longer period of time, over a long period of time. And so uh, there's a lot of efforts towards early detection and things like that in the adult space. And that really doesn't apply so much to pediatric solid tumors. Um, in addition, a lot of adult cancers have many mutations in them, um, which is, is not the case for a lot of pediatric solid tumors. And so this changes the kinds of therapies that end up being effective for these diseases. It also means that some of the promising therapies that uh, move into the adult space and are successful there are unfortunately not as successful in the pediatric um, tumor space. And so um, that makes it an additional challenge that some of the, um, the, new, the new advances that people talk about like immunotherapies um, may not be quite as efficacious in children. Um, the other thing is that pediatric cancers are obviously quite rare. Every single one of them is basically considered a rare disease. And so that makes um, conducting large-scale clinical trials a little bit more difficult because we just have a smaller patient base to work with. Um, and when we do have a small group of patients, let's say, in a clinical trial who respond, because we're overall working with smaller numbers, it can sometimes be harder to detect who those patients are um, and then tailor therapies for groups going forward. So I would say those are the, the biggest differences in the solid tumor space. Yeah, and I, I just, just said that it, along those lines, I think that as we develop these therapies, you know, pediatric patients are gonna potentially have different toxicities than older patients. You know, as I mentioned, we're starting to go into AML and AML has a clear sort of bimodal where you can have much older patients. And I'm not sure that, even though it says, you know, for all intents and purposes, the same disease, if it truly is the same biologically, um, you know, in, in, in terms of AML, you can have patients who develop AML as a result of acquired mutations that are happening over a period of time in much older adults. And I think that that is going to be different than your pediatric population. And so some of the things that we also are trying to focus on is, you know, how do we have um or have access for some pediatric patients to promising drugs that might be available in the adult space um, that we would want to try in our patient population. Those are really fantastic points. And I want to dive a little bit deeper into each of your research areas, which are the liquid cancers and then uh, the solid tumor cancers. So Dr. Shah, um, even looking back at early research in childhood cancer, it's revolved largely around blood cancers and leukemia. Can you go into the work that you're leaning, leading with immunotherapy with these pediatric blood cancers? And as you were mentioning, therapies like CAR T-cell treatments can show promise. So how are you pioneering more in this space? 
Yeah, so in terms of the work that we do in the pediatric oncology branch, we're really focused on what are called phase one trials. These are first in human and our work oftentimes first in child. And the patients who come to us are those patients for whom standard therapies have failed. Um, you know, with the FDA approval of a CD19 CAR T cell construct, which is Tisagenlocleucel, um, some of our more recent patients are patients who've even failed some of the best immunotherapies that are out there. So what we're really trying to do is, you know, push that envelope. Can we find even additional ways to overcome chemotherapeutic resistance and now even immunotherapeutic resistance and trying to say, are there new antigens that can be targeted, meaning new proteins that are on the leukemia cell that we can try to focus on? Or are there ways that we can make immunotherapy even better? So a good example of that is that for patients who receive a CD19 CAR T cell, the leukemia, um, one way that the, the therapy may fail is that the leukemia would come back without expressing CD19 on it, um, which tells you how difficult these leukemias can be to treat as they continue to mutate. We're trying to develop combination immunotherapy strategies to prevent that from happening. So as a result of our efforts, we're working on targeting CD19 and CD22 using CAR T cells at the same time. Um, Christine, you spoke a little about this earlier, but I'm wondering if you can dive deeper into what are some of the unique challenges for children with sarcomas and what are some of the therapeutic targets that you're studying to address those challenges? So in the sarcoma space, you know, one of the, the biggest challenges um, is addressing patients who present with metastatic disease or tumors that have spread beyond their initial site um, at diagnosis. And I'll say that you know, over the last number of decades, particularly for our most common sarcomas, we really have seen no improvements um, in outcomes for patients with metastatic disease over that long period of time. Um, and another population that we have great difficulty treating are patients with relapse disease. So patients where the tumor comes back after initial therapy, and it's, it's actually relatively frequent that we see patients who have a nice response initially and then some time passes while they're off their therapy, and then the tumors come back, and there's not really a whole lot that we can do about them. So um, I think, you know, understanding the biology behind um, why some diseases present metastatically and what is different about those metastatic tumors um, is an important area of research. And, and then in particularly being able to identify novel agents that may address these two problems. So my lab is um, I have a, a lab program and a clinical program. So my lab is really focused on um, identifying some of these new potential targets. Um, in particular, we're interested in using new agents that may enhance the, the efficacy of current um, chemotherapeutic agents um, because the chemotherapies that we use in many of our sarcomas are, are the same ones that have been used for a very long time. And they are effective for a pretty large uh, proportion of patients, but obviously they're toxic. And so if we can use combinations effectively and lower the doses so we can lower the toxicity, but increase the effectiveness, um, that's a big goal. And then another area that we're interested in is improving drug delivery of some of these agents so that the drug is really being um, delivered more specifically to the tumor cells and sparing normal cells. Um, and there's a number of ways that we kind of think about doing this. Um, you know, some of them are pure delivery platforms, but also looking to see if there are vulnerabilities that are very unique to the cancer cells that normal cells are not particularly vulnerable to targeting of those 
of those molecules. Um, so that's that's what we've been working on. And then um, in the clinical side, um, just as Norali said, we also run phase one studies, you know, taking these most promising candidates from the lab into the clinic with the idea that if we see safety and efficacy in the early studies, then they can be studied in a larger population later. So since precision medicine and immunotherapy are some of the most emerging areas in medicine overall these days, and especially in cancer, and these kinds of treatments require plentiful and quality data, have you seen the Childhood Cancer Data Initiative at NCI helping you advance your studies in research and care? And if so, how has that, what has that looked like? So I think, you know, broadly, um, not just specifically for me, but I think across the, the field, um, having the opportunity to collect kind of high quality biological data from patients, having that data accessible to, to investigators in the clinic and also in the lab um, could be, will be extremely beneficial in moving the field forward. So I think what I can say is that and, and uh, Dr. Heskey alluded to this earlier, is that childhood cancer is rare. And the the one of the reasons that we've been able to make any progress at, at all is that the pediatric oncologist realizes and we collaborate. We come together and we try to bring together these rare cases so that we are not functioning, you know, just as individual pediatric oncologists, but we're functioning as a community. And I think that, you know, this new initiative is really sort of leveraging that notion that we have is, you know, saying that we have to collaborate and we have to collaborate to understand these better. And, and, and in that regard, you know, bring samples together, bring people together, bring the data together so that we can continue to make the incremental advances that we have, particularly as we have new tools in our armamentarium to provide to patients and see, you know, who are the patients for whom these personalized therapies can be even more effective. Yes, I would agree with that. And I would also say that, you know, having access to this biological data can also potentially give us insights into new novel um, pathways that we, we might want to target in particular, you know, as, as these are rare diseases, if we have a lot of data, we may be able to detect, um, you know, subpopulations of patients who are more likely to respond to certain kinds of therapies. And collecting this data up front in a prospective way, I, I think, you know, has the potential to, to have a very big impact. I really love what you said about how data will allow you to bring together these rare cases and, and to function as a community. I think that that idea of sort of data allowing you to work as a community is, is a really great one because right, that's like the point of the data is that then you can have everyone bring all of their research together and hopefully be more effective that way. I guess I'm also curious how has or, or how will other data sharing and collection efforts like the recently launched Childhood Cancer Molecular Characterization Program, help advance research around childhood cancers. Christine, did you want to take that one on? Sure. Um, so, you know, I think very similar to what we said about the CCDI, I think the Molecular Cancer Data Initiative, you know, falls in, in a similar uh, category. I know that um, there are several disease types that are currently being targeted, and one of those is um, rhabdomyosarcoma, which is a a pediatric um, tumor that originates probably in muscle precursor cells. And it's one of the ones that, you know, we've made, um, unfortunately, not a ton of progress um, in terms of identifying 
new agents for this disease. So we're all really excited, I think, in the sarcoma community to have this data being collected and then to have it be accessible just as another tool um, to use on the preclinical side to kind of move the field forward. Um, and I think, you know, as the as the MCI expands to other tumor types, um, we just have a really good opportunity to collect this type of data for across the board for pediatric cancers. Excellent. So we're about to approach Childhood Cancer Awareness Month in September. So I wanted to ask you something along the lines of what we discussed last year when we spoke for the National Cancer Act miniseries. But, you know, you both have children, Dr. Heskey, especially a very young one here joining us today. But what message do you have to children with cancer and their families and loved ones about the current and future states of NCI's commitment to understanding pediatric cancers and advancing care in the space, especially since, as we alluded to, this whole conversation is a very difficult area to study? So I think that, you know, the first thing we would want um, our, our children and, our, and, and their parents to know is that, you know, many childhood cancers are curable. Um, and, it, and for those, you know, what we're hoping to do is to say, well, in those cases, you know, if there is already a very high cure rate, how can we make the, to the long-term toxicities less? And how can we improve upon the fraction of patients for whom it, it may not be cured? And I think that's where precision medicine, immunotherapy is sort of really shifting the paradigm and saying, well, if we can identify and continue to further risk stratify those patients um, and identify the patients where, you know, giving more rounds of chemotherapy may not be beneficial, but we can change our approach. I think now is the time, and I think we're seeing real life evidence that we are really starting to make substantial differences, um, more so than, than we have by uh, incorporating some of these novel approaches. Yeah, and I, I would echo that. And I think, um, I, you know, I would like our, our children and families to know that the NCI has a huge commitment um, to getting a better understanding of pediatric cancer and then moving those biological advances into the clinic so that they can benefit our patients. I think this um, sort of bench to bedside paradigm is really important to everyone uh, here, at least in, in the pediatric oncology branch where we both work, um, so that it's not just scientific knowledge for the sake of understanding something more, it's scientific knowledge for the sake of really bringing it forward so that our patients can benefit. Um, so we are all working hard on this. I think scientific breakthroughs in this area are happening um, at a much faster pace now than they had in, in decades past. And we're all really hopeful that, um, that we will have more breakthroughs that translate into the clinic for our families and patients. So as we wrap up here today, I just want to give you guys the chance to add anything that we didn't get to touch on throughout the conversation. Um, so I think, you know, as we ent enter, um, enter this month, I think that, you know, we really appreciate the partnership that we have with the community. Um, and especially our, our patients and our parents, I think that parent advocates play a huge role in helping bring attention to pediatric cancer and pediatric cancer research. And that really helps us to be able to advance our science. And I think I really look forward to what, you know, what, what, the field will look like over the next decade. In the pediatric oncology branch, we recently uh, had a 10-year uh, milestone event to discuss, you know, the fact that 
you know, our first CAR T cell infusion was done in 2012 and to reflect back on how far we've come. And I can't even begin to imagine where we'll be in the next 10 years. I was just going to add that, you know, in, in the spirit of talking about partnering with the community and collaboration, I think um, it's important to recognize that really none of this work could be done without the families and patients who um, elect to enroll on these clinical trials, who um, consent to have their samples, their tumor samples and their blood samples used in research. Um, and so, you know, as a field, we have a lot of gratitude. Um, we know that many of these families are going through really, really difficult times and they're um, still willing to kind of partner with us in the interest of, of research and moving things forward. So yeah. we're really grateful for that. And I'll just just add to that. I mean, it's it's the patients and family who are the inspiration and the drive for everything we do. And I think, you know, what I always tell my team is that when we have samples we're working with, I mean, that's that's living legacy. Um, and we take, you know, we really try to do everything that we can with with what our patients have given us so that we can make those changes in time. I do think it's really important. I'm glad you brought up the appreciation for the families and the patients. I know that childhood cancer is so difficult to deal with and you both have children. So it's a scary situation and we appreciate you sharing your journeys in this space. And we look forward to following what you and others in the pediatric cancer space do next. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. As we depart from today's episode, I also wanted to thank you, the audience, for joining me along the journey in Cancer HealthCast and our regular HealthCast show. I'm thrilled to pass the torch to Catherine, and I look forward to joining you as a fellow listener as she takes things on. Thank you, Melissa, and thank you to our audience. And remember to follow along the last Tuesday of every month to keep tuning in. HealthCast, along with GovCast and CyberCast, is a production of GovCIO Media and Research. For more podcasts and to check out the other shows, head to govciomedia.com. Watch out for new episodes released every Tuesday and Wednesday across our shows. You can follow all of them in your favorite podcast platform. And if you like what you heard, make sure to let us know by leaving a review. And if you have any topics you think we should look into, contact us at newsletter at gcio.com.